Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Drove there for the first time ever, and I imagine the last time ever. And on the drive back, I passed a church on Highway 50 with a huge sign announcing to all the freeway drivers, our Savior has come. And as I drove past this sign at the posted speed limit, I got thinking about the sign's message to today's world compared to a similar message 30 or 40 years ago. Back then, a good percentage of those who passed a similar sign around Christmas had some idea what it meant. They may or may not have believed it or gave it much thought, but they knew our Savior meant Jesus and has come had something to do with his birth. And for many back in those days, there was at least the echo of the Christmas story, however faint, reverberating in them. Perhaps it was merely a romantic or idyllic childhood memory, but there was some connection within them between Christmas and the coming of our Savior. But as I passed this sign yesterday, I thought about how different the world is today. And obviously, I realize many still have an idea of what our Savior has come means. But an increasing number these days don't really know and may not really care to know. For many these days, there is no reverberating echo or idyllic memory connecting Christmas with the coming of a Savior. For some these days, the transcendent, a sense of the divine with us, is simply the fairy tale of those who can't handle the truth about life and about death. And so it raises the question, what relevance, if any, does this well-known and hard-to-believe 2,000-year-old story have in today's world. According to the Gospel writer Luke, on the night of Jesus' birth, an angel said to a group of shepherds these words, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the question is, what, if anything, does this good news have to do with people like us living in a world like this. James K.A. Smith is a philosopher, and in the introduction to his book called How Not to Be Secular, he addresses a couple of paragraphs to the atheist or the agnostic or the religiously disinterested who might be reading his book. And he writes this, You're constantly puzzled by all these people you read about in the New York Times or the New Yorker, who are like super religious, who can't imagine that God doesn't exist. They seem to inhabit some other universe than your own. Then one of your friends starts reading Mary Carr's memoirs and even starts flirting with Catholicism. After a few months, she invites you to St. Patrick's Cathedral on Christmas Eve, and you're thinking this must just be a therapeutic strategy, a kind of puritanical form of self-medication. But you can't bring yourself to go along, so you stay home, alone. And before you know it, just as the bourbon is taking hold, 
One of those unbelievably ambiguous and nostalgic songs by the postal service comes on. You know, one of those songs with the sprite light tune that lulls you into thinking it's just banal triviality, but then somehow you hear it again as if for the first time, and all of a sudden you feel yourself in the song. And I'm looking through the glass where the light bends at the cracks, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, pretending the echoes belong to someone, someone I used to know. And you're spooked by the longings this articulates, naming something that wells up in you from some subterranean cavern in your consciousness. And you feel stupid that you're crying, but you can't stop. And you want to just blame it on the bourbon and the loneliness. And yet there is the oddest taste of some distant joy calling to you in those tears. And you're not sure what to do with any of this. Now, I consider myself a Christian, but I often live like an agnostic, and I occasionally feel like an atheist. And this reading does something to me. It reaches past my brain and past my emotions, and it articulates a hard-to-articulate part of me. Readings like this are rare, in my opinion, because their target is not the mind or the feelings, like so much writing. A reading like this aims at something deeper something harder to identify than the mind or the feelings. It targets what St. Augustine called the unquiet within us. And some of us may be familiar with this unquiet. It is a subterranean restlessness within us. One writer calls it the haunting. Others refer to it as a longing. Nothing seems to satisfy. Julian Barnes captures this ache in his memorable phrase, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. See, the relevance of this well-known and hard-to-believe 2,000-year-old story to us in today's world is its unique ability to speak to the unquiet within us. Its unique ability to settle the deep restlessness and satisfy the unsatisfied longing. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people because today a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. When the shepherds heard this announcement, something deep within them awoke. And they knew somehow the satisfier of the unquiet, the restlessness, the haunting, the longing had come. So they abandoned their sheep and hurried to Bethlehem, in their words, to see this thing that has happened. And when they had seen the baby lying in a manger, somehow they realized they had finally found what they had been looking for, hoping for, and waiting for all of their lives. And they returned to their shepherding, and they returned to their lives, spreading this news to others, never to be the same again. So the answer to the question, what, if anything, does this good news have to do with people like us living in a world like this, is everything. Pay attention to what we think, and maybe more importantly, what we feel when we see and we hear the tension and division and anger and violence in our nation and throughout the world. Is there not a longing? however faint it may rumble, for something more 
and something better? Pay attention to what we think and more importantly to what we feel about living lives of meaning and substance and significance in a world that seems to be spiraling toward meaninglessness. Is there not a restlessness within about these things? However faint it may rumble for something more. Pay attention to what we think and more importantly to what we feel when we observe the breathtaking beauty of the mountains or of the ocean. Or when our lives are wonderfully interrupted with an unexpected grace or kindness. Yesterday I was the only patron sitting in Wimpy's Bar and Restaurant in the middle of nowhere in Walnut Grove. And the cook came out of the kitchen, just a stereotypical cook. And he asked the waitress for some Tylenol. And it was obvious by the way he walked, every joint in this man's body was hurting. But she didn't have any Tylenol, so I chimed in and said, I have a year's supply of Tylenol in my backpack. So the cook came over to my table, and he began to tell me about his many ailments. And he actually showed me a few of his ailments. And I supplied him with some Tylenol. And when he walked away, he said, so are you some kind of salesman? I said, not exactly. Strange thing. I felt some sort of kinship with this guy. He walked back to the kitchen. And I quietly thanked God for this little outbreak of grace right there in the middle of nowhere. See, it just seems to me that there are times when something rumbles from deep within us, maybe loudly or maybe barely, usually unexpectedly, whether we want it to or not. And it rumbles about life and about hope and about God and about significance. Well, the Christmas story is good news that causes great joy for those who occasionally rumble within and occasionally long for more. And I want you to know tonight, we have not set out in this service to wow you with the flash and splash of Jesus' birth because Jesus' birth was not flashy or splashy. It was magnificently unspectacular, obscure, quiet, hidden. So it appeals not so much to the one looking for the latest and the greatest, but rather it appeals to the one who is ever so slightly beginning to realize or beginning to wonder if the latest and the greatest and the loudest and the flashiest do not and cannot satisfy the unquiet, the restlessness, the haunting, the longing. So the Christmas story appeals to the one looking for something beyond the latest and beyond the greatest. Something real. Something a bit mysterious. Something substantial. Jesus came as God in the flesh. An outbreak of grace in the middle of nowhere. To show us who God is. To show us what life could be like when it is lived in relationship with him. And to speak to and ultimately satisfy the deepest rumblings in our souls. One last thing. When the shepherds first heard about this good news that would cause great joy, it is hard for me to imagine 
that they understood it all or that it all instantly made sense to them or that every speck of their doubt was instantly wiped away. Since the shepherds were perfectly human, I can't imagine everything suddenly made sense and fit neatly in their minds and in their hearts. I doubt, in other words, that they suddenly and instantly believed. But what they did do is go check it out. The awakening of their longing compelled them to head to Bethlehem and see for themselves. And checking it out remains a fitting response to the Christmas story in today's world. The binary choice of believe or don't believe hardly describes the way it works for most of us. Because those who believe sometimes struggle to believe, and those who don't believe sometimes do believe. Or perhaps think of it this way, and I'll make this autobiographical so as not to offend anyone. I'm a Christian who is sometimes an agnostic or even an atheist. And I'm quite sure there are agnostics or atheists who are sometimes Christian. I like how the poet and novelist Mary Carr puts it. She writes, faith is a choice like any other. If you're picking a career or a husband or deciding whether to have a baby, there are feelings and reasons pro and con out the wazoo. But thinking it through is, at the final hour, horse dookie. You can only try it out. Jesus has come in the flesh to dwell among us and reveal God to us and show us the way to real life both now and forever. 2,000 years ago, there was an outbreak of grace in the middle of nowhere. And his name is Jesus. And if something in us quickens even a little at the possibility of it all, or wonders about it even a little at the thought of it all, or if something in us is spooked by the longings this articulates, naming something that wells up in us from some subterranean cavern in our consciousness, and we feel stupid that we're crying, but we can't stop, and we want to just blame it on the bourbon and the loneliness, and yet there is the oddest taste of some distant joy calling to us in those tears, and we're not sure what to do with all of this, then maybe it's time to check out this thing that has happened, which God has told us about in this 2,000-year-old story. Let's pray together. Once again, Lord Jesus, on this sacred night, we proclaim it, we declare it, that we believe you are the King of kings who has come to dwell with his people. We don't understand it. It hardly makes sense to us. Our minds are practically incapable of wrapping even a part way around it. But we declare it tonight. That you have come in the flesh to dwell among us and show us who you are and show us who we can become and what life can be like in you, both now and forever. And we pray 
that we might have the instinct to pay attention to those rumblings, to listen to those stirrings, to follow the ache, to chase down the restlessness, and check out this amazing truth that the King has come and dwelt among us. And we pray for your help to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.